Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Here are your calls, Andrew Forbes, Peter Barracchini, and Alex Hobson. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. You didn't hear Andrew's voice first. You're hearing my voice. That means something's wrong here. <laughs> Uh oh, what's happening? This is this. Yeah, is weird. I know. This, 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 this feels person. really weird, though. Yeah, I know. This feels. I don't know, Peter. I'm kind of, I'm kind of tripping out here a little bit. Is, I, I mean, mean, I mean, it is Halloween, right? We deserve like you know the suspense and everything like that. But this, uh, this is how we're spooking the uh, the the six and the six faithful. We're doing an episode without Andrew Ford. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, Andrew Forbes is uh, unfortunately uh, not able to be with us for this episode tonight, but uh, we've got you covered. I'm your co-host, Alex Hobson, here with my co-host, Peter Barracchini. And uh, I know that Andrew normally starts these offs by uh, going for uh, going for a bit of a non-hockey-related question. So, Peter, uh, how you doing? How How's the week been? Yeah, like you said, um, it, it does feel a little bit off, but you know what? The show must continue, you know? Um, yeah, I, I, I've been doing good so far, you know? Um, literally a quiet week. I, I, I will say this, though. So, obviously, both me and you, we share the same musical genre or whatever. And I am, I, I, I kind of feel weird saying this, but I'm going to my first concert post-COVID in God knows how long. And I am super excited. I managed to get a hold of Blink-182 tickets. No way. Yeah, so Alexis on Fire and Pierce the Veil. I'm also looking forward to seeing those. Uh, I, I mean, Alexis on Fire returning, but I was listening to the new album today, and wow, it's everything I expected from Blink. I mean, little, literally from like the immaturity to the actual like songwriting and tone. It, it, it's like a blast from the past from all of their albums. But uh, yeah, I am absolutely excited to go to that show. I'm loving this album, and yeah, that that's been basically the highlight because I'm so excited for that. How are you doing, though? I'm doing good. I mean, I'm not I'm not going to see Blink 182, Alexis on Fire, and Pierce the Veil. So I think it sounds like you're doing better than I am right now. But um, I, I, I've been doing well. Um, I know that a big theme of our our six and the six pre episode banter last year was uh, me talking about. Uh, wreaking havoc on my men's division ball hockey league, the low, oh, it's the low back. rank. Peter, I got to tell you right now, we got moved to the lowest division, which is exactly what we needed to boost our confidence and get us going again because we are wreaking havoc on this league. 
sheer um, dominance at this point. We are we are eight and one in men's division eleven ball hockey, and we've got a total goal differential of. Uh, man, let me see. <laughs> Our goal differential is plus forty five currently. Ooh, <laughs> I, I'm assuming you're leading the team in scoring, though, right? Peter, I, I took a, and I would never brag about something like this, but I had to take a screenshot because it's likely the only time in my entire life I'm ever going to see this. I am leading the league in scoring. Oh, right let's go. That's how you do it. <laughs> I'm putting up NH and this, trust me, this absolutely has to do with the fact that I am a super skilled, unbelievable ball hockey player and certainly nothing to do with the fact that I've just been stat padding against teams that have <laughs> depleted benches. But uh, I'm putting up some NHL 23 be a pro numbers here and when you're when you're playing on rookie and you're making your nhl debut i've got 26 points in six games so far yo that's how you do it though. i remember when we did beer league one time with my buddies and we were just so good we were dominating that level and we had to get bumped up and it was only a matter of time where we just like man should we just you know continue just being trash or just so just, just endure it because we were too good for that so i could easily relate on that let me tell you, Peter, our first couple games of the season, our first, so the way that works in our league is first couple games of the season basically decides who's going to get relegated and who is going to get bumped up a division. So the, the divisions are kind of preset before the season starts. Yeah. But we started uh, the season with an eight, no win, eight, eight, eight to nothing win. And then our next game was a two, nothing win. And then. I want to say it was, yeah, our third game was a three, it was a 12, nothing win. So no, no goals allowed in the first three games. And we're starting to think, okay, I think we're, 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 we're going to get bumped up into the second lowest division instead of the lowest division. Um, but then our fourth game, this, this, this actually may have helped us. We suffered our only loss because we only had six guys able to make it out that night. And the Ooh. team we were playing had 14. So we lost. Oh, yeah, You guys must've been gassed. We lost six, five in overtime. And I think that game kept us in the lowest division. So Peter, um, this is a big, uh, this is a big moment for French and fried. We are currently pursuing our first ever championship as a team since our, uh, our, um, Oh man, what's the name? I Ina inaugural season. Yeah, our inaugural season. There's a our, our formation, I guess. Is yeah, since our formation, I guess that's the right word. Uh, since our formation in fall 2021, we've played I think five or six seasons since then. I think this is our sixth, and we have yet to win a championship. So this is a this is a big year. This is for the us. year. Wish it's us the luck, year. Man. This is the year. Wishing you the best of luck, man. Because <laughs> that you, that that sounds like you guys are in it to win it. I, you know what? And we've been in it to win it for a long time. We've made it to the finals a couple times, but uh, unfortunately it never prevailed in the way that we wanted it to. So we're hoping that this year might finally be the year. Um, so I guess over the that, hump like the Leafs. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I guess with that being said, um, this is not the French and fried podcast. It's the sticks and the six podcast. So <laughs> we should probably talk some Leafs. How does that sound? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Six games into the season. Uh, the Leafs are four and two right now. Uh, we've already had, you know how it goes in Leafland. There's never any shortage of storylines and things to talk about. Even if there aren't really any storylines, we can always make something up and make something to talk about. Naturally, um, yeah. <laughs> so four and two into the season, Peter, I guess the first thing I'll ask you is, you know, October is always a very, very sloppy month for the Leafs. I, I actually can't remember them ever having an October that didn't feature just some absolutely painful games to watch. Um, 
So I guess my question right now, I mean, four and two through the first six games is better than we're used to seeing from the Leafs in the month of October. So uh, in comparison to last year and the year before, notably, which both had really bad Octobers, uh, what do you make of the Leafs six games into the season? Yeah, again, you don't want to jump to conclusions or like say everything is going great unless you're the Vegas Golden Knights, Boston Bruins, or even Colorado Avalanche who are all undefeated at this point. Um but yeah, I, I I mean, it's still October. It's still early. You don't want to overreact, but there's still some things that are glaring with the Maple Leafs, particularly defensively. Um, obviously, you would like to see a little bit more um, consi- consistency, a little bit more awareness, a little bit more smarts. I know Sheldon Keith has alluded to that, especially in the first two games where, you know, they gave up, you know, five against Montreal, another four against Minnesota. And then, you know, it seems like all the mistake, their mistakes caught up to them against the uh, Chicago Blackhawks. They looked okay against the Panthers. And then again, major drop off uh, with Tampa Bay, but they still managed to get the win. So a mixed bag of everything you're seeing highs, you're seeing the offense playing well, you're seeing the lows, the defense and goaltending, even at this point are kind of, eh, you don't want to like hit the panic button just yet, but there is some cause for concern if they can't turn it around again, it's still early, but you know what? I will say this uh, record wise. I think this is probably the best October. If I can't recall, I may have to go and double check to see. You're not far off. Yeah. Th- I mean, this is a better one than last year. That is for sure. Cause I know last year was a really, really rough start. And now this time it seems like with every game, they're building a little bit momentum and it started with that Tampa Bay lightning win. Yeah. I mean, uh, we're, it looks like things are starting to kind of shape together. I mean, Obviously, you're not going to see a team get into full flight until a decent bit into the season. A lot of that first month is just experimenting with different combinations, especially when you have so many new acquisitions like the Leafs do. Yeah. Um, But it is good to see. I mean, you know, these last couple of games, the new guys who kind of struggled a little bit early on, Tyler Bertuzzi and Max Domi, they they, they both have looked better in recent games as opposed to the first couple. Yes. Um, It looks like things are starting to starting to kind of take shape. And when we talk about the first six games of the season, it's hard to come up with a better storyline so far. I mean, when you look past Austin Matthews scoring two hat-tricks in two games to kick off the season, we talked about that last time. But Mm -hmm. um, through the first six games of the season, hard to come up with a better talking point than JT and Willie. Um, I mean, these are two guys who, I mean, John Tavares specifically, it feels like every year there's some discourse about how his legs are going to finally catch up to him and how when he falls off, that 11 million is going to be really hard to stomach, et cetera, et cetera. And it seems like every year John Tavares just says, no, I'm not dropping off. Why would I drop off? So this guy's 33 years old. He's got nine points or 10 points, sorry, through the first six games of the season. And him and Nylander have just been wreaking havoc. And I mean, Matthews and Marner are both point of game players as well. They're the, the, the core four has been doing all the scoring so far, but JT and Willie are just on another level. And I feel like it's one of those things where when Matthews and Marner aren't torching the world, JT and Willie are. And when JT and Willie aren't torching the world, Matthews and Marner, are. you've always got one of those two duos just wreaking some havoc. So Peter, what do you make of the uh, JT and Willie combo? And uh, who do you think is a long-term line mate maybe for those two? Yeah, I mean, when JT got his third, you know, the or the deflection against Washington, I'm like, man, the JT makes too much money to do nothing crowd is very, very silent right now, where he's just, you know, under a 
point or even or not just under a point but like under like two points per game you know 10 and 6 or 10 and 7 that's 10 and 6 that is absolutely impressive right now and yeah obviously you know you would like that contract to come off and you know he's still producing at that level and like you said he's 33 and it seems like there's there's still more to his game where he like uses that as, I guess he kind of uses that as motivation but it seems like even last year he got off to a good start and he was still very effective and he was just um, at a point per game last year. So, you know, like you said too, it seems like when one is going, the other pair isn't JT and Willie are going right now. They're just unstoppable. But imagine when both of them are clicking at the same pace and at the same rate, that's just absolutely lethal and dynamite. But you know what? We've seen the chemistry that both of them have had so far. Um, you know, Nylander's just on a mission to get paid. I, I, I mean, that I think we could just both agree right then and there. And also for, you know, what he does specifically, like you see an elevation to his speed, the edges, the creativity. And it's just like, you saw the game against Washington. He It was just like a puck on a string for him where he was just dancing and being the one to lead the charge. And that's what you wanted to see from Nylander consistently. We're seeing that early on. As for the top six or their initial top winger, I thought Tyler Bertuzzi did look good. Again, I think he's battling something right now, but there's still hope that he can try and turn things around. He looked a bit more comfortable yesterday. He seemed to be a bit more energetic, but I still think you got to go to Matthew Nyes at some point. You brought him in to be an impact player. He looked great and he's starting to show some chemistry with um, Domi and uh, David Kampf. But at the same time, there's going to be a point where he needs to be elevated into the lineup. And we saw what he did in the playoffs with uh, JT, you know, they feed off each other. And not only that, you know, he's, he's living with the Tavares family as well. So he's gaining a lot of experience both on and off the ice too. I think it just seems like a perfect fit at this point. Yeah. I mean, I wrote an article the other day um, about how Matthew Nyes needs to stop being looked at as, you know, this prospect, like the way that he was last year, a prospect who who's joining the team, who could make an impact here and there. No, they got to start looking at Nyes like a guy who can contribute every single night yeah. because that's what he is. If you put him in the right position to contribute, he is going to contribute. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I think the biggest driver behind that take is not the fact that he's, you know, he puts up points or, you know, any, anything to do with like that. It's just when you watch him play against NHL players, he looks like he belongs. Like he look, he uses his body. He's, he's 20 years old. That's what we need to remember. This guy's 20. He's fucking four years younger than me. Like that's insanity. <laughs> like seriously, man. Anyways, I, I'm sorry. I just kind of had a moment where I was like, damn, this dude is really, it's uh, that moment uh, to make you feel better. He is 21. Okay, so three years that doesn't that doesn't make me feel any better for the record. Yeah, 21 years old, but uh yeah, you forget that he's only 21 because he looks like a 30-year-old grown man out there the way that he plays. I mean, he's six three, he's two twenty pounds, he's he goes into the corners, he can throw a big hit, even if he's not, you know, like a if he's not like a Noah Gregor or Ryan Reeves hitting everything that moves when they go out there, like he's a guy who can throw the body. And he just physically and mentally, he looks like he belongs. And the points will eventually come. So I'm not worried about any lack of offense. But if they put him in the top six and they let him go up against other teams' top sixes, I think he can make an impact. Absolutely. And we saw how he, him and Domi kind of took charge of that comeback game against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Again, it was a little bit too close for comfort. But you know what? They got the depth scoring that they needed. They needed two guys that needed to get going 
get going. And they were fantastic feeds from Domi to Dies. And you could just see their reactions after each one. You knew that these guys were in it. And even getting the uh, in it to win it. And then even getting some of that ice time in overtime too. I think that was huge for like a confidence boost for both of them as well. Saying that, or Keith is basically saying, yeah, I can't rely on you. I need more players to step up. I'm going to trust you a little bit more right now. Not to say that he didn't before. But, you know, you saw the game-changing play that he had. You saw him, and you know what? Something about nice and big moments, I think it's starting to become a bit of a factor here. You saw him assist on the game-winning goal to push Elise into the second round on JT's goal. You saw this one, again, in Tampa Bay, two key goals and a three-point night to cap it all off. I think that's very impressive for a young rookie his of his, you know, potential. And I think a lot more, like, everyone just points to, you know, the puck protection, the smarts, and the awareness. Everything is great in that regard, but I think his speed is very underrated and has come a long way uh, with the stride and his ability to just break free and create that separation. Um, obviously, I think that'll be a little bit more beneficial in the top six with someone speedy like um, Nylander. And with Tar- Tavares not being as quick, he serves as a good uh, option as a trailer to, you know, make a drop pass, another passing option right there. And especially with his ability and hands in tight, I think both of those players are all three of them actually can do some damage in the high danger area. And I think that's going to be very, very key considering, you know, obviously the Maple Leafs have, um, the new NHL edge, uh, shot track, uh, shot tracking, t- uh, shot speed, everything like that. But I think the Maple Leafs are one of the best high danger teams in the league at this point right now. So you got to take that into consideration and maybe nice could do a little bit more damage in that regard. Well, you also have to take into consideration the fact that Keith went out of his way to say to the media the other day, we need to give Matthew nice more minutes when he, when he, yeah. when he was explaining his decision to switch Domi and nice, that was, I think that was after the Chicago game. I want to say it was a couple days ago, but mm-hmm. um like Keith is not the kind of guy to just go and puff up and pump up his rookies to the media just so just to make them feel good. Like he's if, if his rookie has a bad game, he's not going to be shy about it. But that's two instances in the past. The first time he did he ever did something like that was when he told the media that he couldn't find a mistake in Pontus Holmberg's game around last November when he was yeah. called up. And then he does it again here with nice. He's being completely honest and listen, we got to give him more minutes. So when, when, when you consider that your head coach is saying that about a 21 year old rookie, it should be a bit of an indicator that this guy's not just a prospect who can make it, you know, who could score an extra goal every now and then this is a guy who can make an impact every time he's out on the ice. And I think we saw that in the Tampa Bay game. I mean, mm-hmm. nice and Domi before that game, nobody had put those two together as the two guys to be difference makers and to put the team on their back. But um, they, they, in a matter of three minutes, those two connected twice and they single-handedly brought the Leafs back into that game. So I think that Nyes does have to be looked at as more than what he is right now. Um, I think that he's a guy that if you, and you know, I, I do like that they're using him on the penalty kill. I think that's pretty yeah. decent. And I think that's why it's a little easier for me to stomach that he's not on PP2, because, you know, at this stage of his career, if we're going to pick between him getting 30 extra seconds of power play time on the on the second unit or him getting decently regular minutes on the penalty kill and developing those defensive skills early, I'd be I'd be happy to take him on the PK over the over the power play. So um, overall, it looks like he's he, he's got potential to be a guy that contributes in so many different areas for the Leafs. And if they make some noise this year, he's going to be a big part of it. 
Yeah, and I, I agree to the extent with the PK. You want to try and ease him in a little bit, but I think with him, with his offense, I think maybe Pete, the power play probably could have been a bit better, but I understand where you know Keith is coming from too. You want to get like a lot of people in early on to see what they're capable of. And you know, we, th- this guy is nice is a two-way player. Like he can play on both sides of the puck. And also I think with time, it, it won't be long before we see him on the power play. I think you got to give him that shot at some point. If and when he feel he feels that he's ready, because in an instance where you know maybe you know Matthews and Marner are are completely gassed after a big shift and they get a power play, and who are you going to put on? You're obviously looking to the second unit. Obviously, you could probably change up knives and give him that moment where they have a lot more zone time and a lot more opportunity to kick start off before the stars could come on. So I think in that instance, you can look to Nice and maybe readjust your lineup, maybe get him some reps in practice and then see what he could do in a game um, if and when that happens. Because obviously with his ability in the slot or even in front of the net with his hands, he could do a lot of damage. Well, Peter, six games into the NHL season, or it's into the Leafs season to be more specific. And you know that every year the Leafs could be 6-0-0 to start the season. There's going to be discourse about something. The Leaf, yeah. Leaf fans just cannot, we, we cannot, we cannot operate as human beings and as sports fans without discourse. And there's always got to be something to have always. discourse about. <laughs> so the guy taking that job early this season, um, I would say that it was, uh, it was down to a very narrow final between John Klingberg and Ryan Reeves. But in the end, I think you have to give the discourse, uh, the discourse cup to Ryan Reeves. Um, you know, it's, I, I don't. I have a really tough time with this because when I when Ryan Reeves for a little note, if anyone isn't on social media or even on on Twitter, um, you'll see the discourse between Ryan Reeves between between you know the analytic side and you know the you know uh, you know intangible side kind of thing. That that's just a little background note. So Ryan Reeves has kind of helped me learn something about myself as a hockey fan, and it's that I don't identify with either extreme side on the spectrum of fandom and when i say the spectrum of fandom i mean one side of the spectrum is all of your 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 older demographic that bows down to don cherry and says screw analytics it's all about the eye test and then on the other end of the spectrum you've got the people that sit and stare at a calculator for an entire game or a graph and they don't actually watch the games i spent the longest time during kyle dubas's tenure and not just in his tenure, like before he was officially brought in as GM. And then after he took over as GM, I spent so much time battling the first end of that spectrum. All the older fans that were like, analytics, screw analytics. We don't need this. It's not important. And, you know, it was a big, we remember. Who needs numbers? War. We remember the big war on analytics back in 2013. You know, oh, yeah. Steve Simmons saying he doesn't play and he doesn't want to watch players play in the Corsi hockey league. You know, we like, we all remember that era. So I spent the longest time battling against those, those fans that act like analytics don't mean anything, but the way that the people on the other end of the spectrum have been handling the Ryan Reeves signing has made me sway to the other side a little bit. Yeah, And it's like, you know, every single game, there is a tweet out there about how Ryan Reeves is expected goals percentage dipped low and wasn't good Mm -hmm. and it's just like i i don't understand why we have to go out of our way to talk about this every single game right like i like ryan reeves signing sure you can 
absolutely make an argument that $1.3 million a season for three years might not be the best value for a 36-year-old enforcer. I get that. But I just don't understand, like, why there's always got to be a guy that fans band together and just, just, just debate every single day. When the answer might be as simple as, hey, this guy is brought in almost exclusively because of the way that he brings a team together. That's what Bill Guerin said when the wild traded for him. He said that on overdrive. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I know you shouldn't be spending a $1.3 million on vibes, but at the same time, it, it, it's just, it, it's hilarious that even when the team wins, we're talking about a fourth liner who doesn't have a good expected goals rating because again, if he's there, to improve the morale of the team and guys like Austin Matthews are crediting him with turning games around and bringing momentum. Who cares about his expected goals? He's a fourth line player. Yeah. And I, what, where do you stand on this, Peter? Yeah. Um, again, from what I understand, if anyone doesn't know expected goals is basically the goal, the goals or the amount of goals that you should get based on the quality of shots that you get per game or during the game. That's yeah. how I understand it. Uh, if I'm wrong, so be it. I'm so like, I, I don't use it all the time, but if there's an instance I do use it a bit. And yeah, when you look at it from a basis or line or numbers and line basis, yeah, the fourth line doesn't produce 32.3. If you're looking that as a line Reeves himself is, um, had it right here at 36.28 at five on five. And on the surface, yeah, it doesn't look good. But like you said, this is a player that brings the morale. He, uh, he he hypes the team up. He gets them motivated. He gives them a sense of reassurance that, you know what? We're, we're going to change the dynamic of this team. We're going to be a little bit more loud. We want to be a little bit more energetic. And he does that on a consistent basis. And everyone is so quick to point at the analytics side of it. I think there have been moments where you you where you look, watch the game, and there have been moments where Reeves has played relatively well. I think there was, you know, one instance early on. I think he I can't remember if it was Tampa Bay or Florida. He broke up a play and it led to a good chance. Obviously, he doesn't have the best hands or finishing ability, but it did create something. You know, he has that awareness to quickly turn the tide and transition the other way. Then there was that game against Florida where the first goal, you know, John Klingberg, you know blindly pass it away but also everyone is caught out of position and you see ryan reeves pointing to david camp that that's where you need to be that's where you not you need to go he at least has a sense of how the game should be played and where everyone should be and that alone is huge especially for a fourth liner who has that mentality or that reputation of just being that enforcer you know the the guy that lays a big hit every single time and even so i think even i i, I can't remember when but i think he even said that you know Defensively, I think he has made some good plays as well. I, again, I could be wrong. I, I can't remember which game. It was, I, Keith said that after the second game, I think. it was against Second game, yeah. yeah. And even again, and against the former team, the Minnesota Wild, too. And even during the preseason, you know, he, him and Jacki or Arbor Jacki were like getting into like not a scrum or whatever, but they engaged physically. He beat him out, went to the net, and got a good scoring chance or scoring opportunity. Honestly, yeah, the numbers aren't going to look pretty at times because it is the fourth line, but... This is still that kind of player that they lacked when they went up against, you know, Tampa Bay. Um, you know, when you see other fourth lines, yeah, they may have better numbers, but they still have that tough guy in there that can do a lot of damage and can be intimidating. Um, everyone's going to point to sound bites, but you know what? I think it's great. I, I, no matter how you look at it, whether, you know, 
it was the Jack Eye fight. It was the Marcus Foligno fight. He he's a good soundbite. He knows how to take pressure away from everybody, and he's doing it very well. I think this could be this has been huge for the Maple Leafs, numbers aside, because they needed someone with his personality on the team. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up um, about that goal because it, you know we saw Frankie Corrado do a really good breakdown on that first goal against Florida. That, Ryan Reeves, that's, that's where I saw it, the yeah. replay because he's pointing right there. I'm like, I completely missed that because of Frankie's breakdown. Yeah. Reeves was the only guy on the ice at that time who knew what was going on. Yeah. So there's just the, the the thing that I keep coming back to is there's just there's so many other things that we could be talking about other than Ryan Reeves, like. Just get over it. This is a guy who yeah. he's, he's here to play a physical game. He's here to take pressure off of the stars. He's here to take those sound bites to the media. Like he's, he's done his job so far. And the only mm-hmm. thing I will say I was a little disappointed in was when we saw Nylander take that cross check against Florida and Reeves. Yeah. There wasn't anything done about that because yeah, it's great to see Ryan Reeves come out and flex in his uh, opening during the season opener inter- uh, introductions. Beautiful. By it's the great way. to see him. It's great to see him fight Arbor Jacka. It's great to see him fight Marcus Foligno the following night. It's great to see him throw these hits and drop these funny sound bites and quotes. But that game against Florida would have been the perfect time for him to, yeah. to send a message because we remember last year. Um, we remember last year, obviously, Sam Bennett injuring Matthew Nyes, taking him out of the series. We remember Radko Gudis injuring Dave, well, not injuring, but he hurt David Camp briefly on a hit. And mm-hmm. then we remember him screaming in Joseph Wall's face. Like that would have been the perfect moment right there after Nylander took that check from behind to send a message. But then at the same time, I almost wonder how much of that was Sheldon Keefe not wanting to take an instigator penalty when they're only down by one. Yeah. So I don't know. That's that's one of those. I'm not going to overthink that, but it definitely would have been nice to see Reeves get out there and go after someone and yeah. just finally see the Leafs send a message in a game like that because Florida physically has bullied them a lot. So, and one more thing to add to that too. Um, obviously, you know, that was the second line out there. You don't know when Reeves is going to face Kulikov if they get that matchup or whatever, unless Keith purposely puts him out there to go send that message. But you know what? Uh, I, I think it was on the Steve Dangle podcast where, I think all three of them said that, you know what? What if Reeves isn't on the ice? Who's going to stand up in something like that? Because that could have been a really bad hit, and that could have potentially put Nylander out long-term. Thankfully, he's okay, but, you know, that's up to, to, you know, the captain who was on the ice to send a message. That's up to someone else on the back end to jump in and be like, you know what? We're not going to take that at all. So there has to be someone out there that could still – mix it up. I mean, even in the preseason game or I think in that final or the first game where, you know, Bertuzzi's mixing it up and you see Matthews coming and you see Geo fly in, um, even saw Marner mix it up. If you need everybody to mix it up and send that message, I'm all for that. And especially if Reeves isn't on the ice, because that has to have a trickle down effect. It does. And you know, that's the, that, that was the first indicator right there where I was like, maybe this could be something that bleeds in for the rest of the season. When, when Matthews and Marner jumped into the scrum there, that's something we've never seen from this era. Yeah. So hopefully that does end up being the case. I, I just always end up telling people when, when they complain about Ryan Reeves, it's like, okay, I get it. This guy is probably making a little too much money right now, but it's one of those things where you, you as a fan watching hockey on TV, 
can't just simply can't understand the impact that he has unless you're in the dressing room. And I'm not going to pretend like I understand that impact either. It's one of those things that it matters most to the players. If it matters mm-hmm. for the players, then it should matter for everybody else. So another thing we should uh, probably touch on before we move away from Leaf Talk is uh, <laughs> Joseph Wall basically doing everything that he can to ensure that there's no goalie controversy this year. Yeah. So you look at the stats to start the season, not really a secret who's been the better goalie. Ilya Samsonov record of two, one and oh, but he's carrying that four thirty four goals against average eight thirty one save percentage. We saw him get pulled against the lightning after allowing three goals on four shots for the two fifty save percentage. Um, not a great start to the season for Samsonov. On the other hand, it's been an amazing start to the year for Joseph Wall. He carries the same record to want to know, but he's got a GAA of 1.44 and a save percentage of 9.58. So this is a guy who all three games he's played, obviously the Chicago game was a loss, but that was the Leafs worst effort of the season so yeah. far. I know it because I was in the stands to watch it live. <laughs> Pain. Happy, happy birthday to me. Um, <laughs> But either way, we've, we Joseph Wall was the easiest part of that game. You know, you, you watch the guy in net. You, if you were reading Twitter, you were reading social media, reading your Leafs articles the uh, past couple days, you know that Max Domi compared him to Carey Price. And don't take that comparison. Don't say he's... Don't take it out of context. Yeah, he's not... He was, he was not comparing Joseph Wall as a goalie to Carey Price, the goalie. He was comparing his ability to to stay calm his demeanor and net just yeah the, and that's something you can compare to mm-hmm. you know you can have two goalies that are both calm um <laughs> anyways so joseph wall has clearly looked better than Ilya samsonov to start the season where do you see the goaltending battle right now peter yeah, I mean, when you saw that game, there did look like there was going to be a goalie controversy because, you know, there have been – it seems like every single season there's been a goalie controversy. What do you do between Frederick Anderson and Jack Campbell? Um, both Campbell and Peter Morazic are struggling. Where do you go from there? You know, last season there's also, you know, Samson off of Murray and then Wall coming in as well to, you know, throw his name into the hat. And I for, – first and foremost, I do agree. Don't take that Domi co- uh, comment out of context because – when you see him in net, you can tell that, you know, Wall does have that calm demeanor and no panic in his game, similar to that of Carey Price. Now, Joseph Wall is n- probably not going to be Carey Price, but you could say, you know, it reminds me of this. Just like Connor Bedard's shot kind of reminds me of like Austin Matthews. Uh, so-and-so player kind of has the same speed as Connor McDavid. Are they going to be the same player? No, they're going to be in their own right. Full stop. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk for that. Um <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I even wrote about, you know, Joseph Wall playing his way into earning more starts. And you have to consider that right now, how he came in and stopped the bleeding against the Tampa Bay Lightning, where he faced a lot of high quality chances. And, you know, late in the game, you know, that pad save on Kucherov, you know, tracking the puck very well. Same thing happened against the uh, Washington Capitals, where... I mean, that oh, 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 that Ovechkin goal, nobody was going to stop that. Three players were in front. Uh, I believe Carlson finds Ovechkin in front when all the player, the penalty killers are on one side of the ice. Wall saw stop of that. Like, let's be realistic. But he was dialed in and saw every single shot, even when Ovi was peppering him in the beginning on that breakaway where he went to the same move back to back. So he stayed with him. Good on that. Um he just seems more more calm, and I, I, I can say this about Samsonov. He he went back to 
the Samson off that we saw with the Washington Capitals. Being over aggressive, not being in at the right spots, not being square with the shooter, overshooting with his lateral movements. He needs to take a step back and calm down because there were instances last year where that play started to creep back in. He was able to, you know, get, you know, mentally focused and was able to bounce back. That still can happen, but it's not going to serve him well when Joseph Wall is, you know, pitching these kind of numbers, you know. Over 900, uh, 920 save percentage. The goals against average are low. There's a guy in net that you can rely on where you're not going to give up three three goals on four shots. And even Keith said, that's unacceptable at this point, especially when he signed that contract. You're basically on another prove-it year with this team. And we're not seeing that early on. Again, he can turn it around, but the way that Joseph Wall has played, I, uh, obviously this is going to be out when the Maple Leafs play the Dallas Stars. Future me, I think Joseph Wall should get the start against Dallas and then Samson off against a lesser competition against Nashville. I'm not quite sold on putting Samson off in just yet. I think he still needs to work his way in practice and earn that trust back from Keith that he can rely and be the backstop in net. But also it'll be a good test for wall because you already faced a tough team in Tampa Bay. Now try and do it and replicate it against the Joseph, um, the Dallas stars, because they're just as a tough as a team offensively as the lightning and also, just for me from like a prospect perspective, both him and Jake Ottinger were on the same national development team program in their draft year. Both were the backs off. Both, both got drafted in the same year, I believe. And it will be a good story to see both former teammates go head-to-head in the NHL when they're both making, you know, timely starts. So I'm a big, so obviously one performance-wise, but also that good, that feel-good story because why not? Just, uh for the purpose of being the well actually guy. Oh, um, oh okay. Joseph, Joseph Wall was drafted the year before Jake Ottinger, but still, either way. Okay, um, but they were still former. Yeah. Okay, my mistake. Former yeah, teammates. Yeah. No, no. Much for being, you know, the draft insider. Or I had to. I had to be the. I had to be the well <laughs> all, actually guy. All good, man. All good. Um, but you know what? I I agree. I think that Joseph Wall has clearly played better, and I think that the Leafs do need to be operating on a ride the hot hand basis. But that mm-hmm. being said. I also think that the Leafs, like Leafs fans, need to kind of take a chill pill on some of the Elias Samsonov takes that I've been seeing. He's had a really bad start to the year. And I know that Leaf fans are on edge because we've seen Campbell go through awful stretches like this. We've seen Morazic's entire season. We've seen Frederick Anderson go through bad stretches. We saw Matt Murray go through bad stretches last year. I know that we hate it when the goalie can't make a save, but... Ilya Samsonov has done a lot more good in Toronto than he's done bad. Mm-hmm. And I'm not willing to, you know, as much as I think that Joseph Wall has the has a leg up on him in the in the battle for the crease right now, I don't think that jo- that we should just be moving on from Ilya Samsonov just like that. We're going to need yeah. both of them this year. And, you know, the Leafs are going to need both of them to be at their best. And, you know, whether he turns that prove-it deal into a longer-term deal or he, he, he uses it to test free agency – Whatever. I, as of right now, the Leafs need both of those goalies to be doing well. And I think that Samsonov still got it in him. Um, I just think that um, right now, Joseph Wall is the guy that should be getting. If, if you're going to be operating on a basis of two, two, two starts to one, I think Joseph Wall's got to be yeah. getting the two. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's it just, you know, Keith even said, you know, this is him pushing. He wants that internal competition from everybody. And for him to do that right now, this early on, how do you think he like Wallace feeling right now? He, the, he I'm pretty sure that the you know the sky's the limit for him 
of what he could accomplish. And, and, and again, he's had a rough start pro wise when he went from, you know, college to the AHL, he's had, had injuries. He's had dealt with consistent inconsistencies, but now he seems to be on the right path. And the fact that he's mentally tough right now, like he's dialed in that, that, that says it all. And again, like you said, it's too early to write Samson off off because of what he did last season. If he's able to get back to where he was last season, then the, you have no goalie controversy. But at the moment, it seems like one is being taking one is taking advantage of the other situation right now. And I think that's what Wald needs to do. And he's just got to play his game. And it's up to Samson up to match that competition and stay up with Joseph Wald to say, hey, I'm not going quietly at this point. Well, Peter, uh, we talked about uh, Elias Samsonov and how he signed that one-year prove-it deal. So, in other words, he was betting on himself. And while Elias Samsonov bets on himself, you can bet using DraftKings. How about that segue? Uh, that was perfect. <laughs> I'm was trying beautiful. to do. I'm trying to come up with a good segue. I know Andrew always does those good segues. I'm doing my best to fill his shoes over here. Okay. <laughs> The NFL season is going strong, and DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking new customers up with an offer that's even stronger. Bet five bucks on any game this week to score $200 instantly in bonus bets. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of a sweetener offer every game day this October. Get in on the game day greatness. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code THPN. That is THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network, our partners here. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets when you bet five on the NHL. That is code THPN only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. The crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, you can call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY, which is 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem. Uh, help is available for problems with gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms and responsible gaming resources. Well, Peter, we are moving into the second half of the show right here. It's time to stray away from the Leafs and stray towards some of the bigger talking points in hockey. And I guess we should start off with something that broke today. And I know that you being a big draft guy, you'll have a lot to say on this topic. Um, The NHL's owners have, the majority of the NHL's owners, I should say, have moved forward with the motion to vote in favor of a decentralized draft. So before you get into your take on it, Peter, for maybe anyone listening right now that's not dialed into the draft and doesn't know what that means, what is a decentralized draft? And then once you kind of give us the cliff notes on it, what do you think of it? Yeah, I'm going to keep this, you know, short and easy. So basically a decentralized draft is basically what you see in the NBA and the NFL draft where you have the players available there. They go up and they do their thing when they get selected, but the team is at home and making the selections and doing everything away. Um, 
you know, it, it, can, can even let's go back to 2020 when we had that online draft that kind of felt like decentralized because, you know, we couldn't meet in person, um, you know, with COVID, the pandemic and everything like that. Everyone did it from their own, you know, arena space, what have you. That's going to be the same thing at this point. They're going to be following in the steps of, you know, the other major league sports where it's just the players there, no teams, no draft floor, no nothing, none of the breaking trades or whatever, but it'll have probably happen behind the scenes, mainly because of, you know, uh, you know, uh, Elliot Freeman on his 32 thoughts. I believe it was more like becoming around a thing where it's like, you know, cost could be an issue. Um, you know, it's so the draft is also so close to free agency where, you know, teams have to get the book ready or flip from, you know, their scouting reports over to what they need to do to build a team and start with the free agency in a short amount of time. And I kind of get that, but um, that, uh, so basically the cliff notes ended before I got into the whole, you know, uh, free agency and all that, the cost thing, you like, that's the reason why a lot of them like voted in favor for it. But, um, you know, as someone that went to the last two drafts and I think it's, it, the decentralized one is probably going to be aiming for 2025. Um, I hope that's the case because I would love the opportunity to go to Vegas and cover the draft as, you know, I think uh, Elliot Freeman said it one last hurrah, go out with a bang. Right. Um, I think I, again, as someone who just got into, you know, or getting credentialed to go to these events, combine drafts, what have you, I'm a big fan of going there because you get to interact with everybody. You get to see the inter- or do the interviews and media up front with the players, you know, staff, teams, whatever, but also just meeting all the other reporters from other different outlets. I think that was huge because especially, you know, for someone like me where, you know, coming out of that pandemic, this is a huge opportunity to, you know, just attend these events again. And, I will never forget the two, the two years that I was in Montreal and Nashville, but I, I, I'm just not a big fan of it because of that, you know, gathering because of everyone getting together, talking behind the scenes, getting the inside info behind the scenes as well. was kind of fun. Um, it's just a little bit disappointing because also throughout the years, I'm so used to seeing everyone on the draft floor on TSN, on Sportsnet, when whoever is covering the draft. I always love seeing the teams there. Call me old fashioned, but I'm I'm just not a big fan of it for a lot of reasons that I just listed. And yeah, it, it basically sucks. Yeah, I you know what? You have a unique perspective because you've actually been able to attend some of these drafts. So I understand that fully. And you know mm-hmm. what? I'm somebody who I would love to attend a draft someday as well. Yeah. That's something that I've been I've been gunning towards potentially doing at some point. And you know, obviously the decentralized draft would ensure that that that's that is not a possibility. So um I tend to side with you on that. I feel like the general fan who just watches the draft from home and doesn't really have any intel or any reason to want to go, I feel like they're probably going to complain about this to start, but then they'll forget about it real quickly. But for people who actually go to the draft and actually are involved with these things, um, Mm. it is unfortunate because you know, all of a sudden you're taking away the teams from being there. There's not going to be any scouts there. There's not going to be any media there. You've basically got the NHL and you've got the process. Just the main network that's going to be holding yeah, it. Exactly. So I do think that is unfortunate. Um, and there's also another thing that I saw today that 
that honestly might have some implications here. This comes from account for hockey. He says the biggest reason I didn't want the NHL draft to be decentralized is that I think there will be fewer edges to be found in the NHL draft betting markets. If NHL media can't meet scouts in person. And normally this is something that I would look past, but I won $60 on Leo Carlson going second overall to the Ducks this year. Mm -hmm. And the only reason that I did that was because Ryan Kennedy tweeted something about 20 minutes before the draft saying, I'm hearing increasing rumblings that Leo Carlson is going to go second overall to Atlanta, to Anaheim and not Adam Fantilli. And, uh, so I, I said, you know what? Screw it. And I threw $20 down on it and I won 60. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's huge too. Like the inside info, like, cause that, cause I, as soon as that happened, yeah, everyone started circulating that, you know, what ducks to Carlson seemed like a really big thing. Cause earlier in the day, nobody had that inclination until, you know, people started picking each other's brains. What could possibly happen that that, that is going to be huge where, you know, you're not going to have those insiders on the, I mean, the insiders will still do their job because they have all the connections, but it's like seeing that on the floor is very interesting and just exciting in itself. And that's, you know, that that's one part that is going to suffer one way or another is the, is the vibes Mm -hmm. and having everybody there, you know, we should just put Ryan Reeves at the draft. That would, that would bring the vibes up by by a thousand percent. Oh yeah. Have him announce all the picks. Can you imagine? (laughs) Beautiful. Um, one last thing to get to here, Peter. And, you know, when we talk about social causes on this show, a lot of the time it's in a negative light because a lot of the time we're talking about the NHL bending over backwards and finding different ways to just turn, turn things into the worst possible situations. And, you know, whenever we talk about whether it's pride or whether it's black lives matter or whether, whether it's a protest over anything, Every single time, the, the 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 message behind it is the NHL is fucking up here. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you right now, this is the first time I think on this show that we've had a social cause to discuss, but we're actually talking about it in a positive light. So if you missed it, Travis Dermott essentially single-handedly reversed the NHL's ban on pride tape or specialty, specialty tape or supporting specialty causes in general. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I'm not, I am not saying, and I want to make this very clear right now. I am not saying the NHL deserves no credit for this because they're, 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 it's just like when you talk about, you know, Doug, not to, not to put a provincial thing on this, but when you talk about Doug Ford reversing the decision to open up the green belt in Ontario, he doesn't deserve credit for that because he's just correcting a mistake that he made. I mean, good for you for correcting it, but that's the, too late here, right? Yeah. Either way. I think we can all agree that we'd much rather see the NHL reverse this ban on pride tape than stick to their guns in this, in this situation. And just the fact that of all players to do it, it was Travis Dermott's. It was a guy on a one-year contract playing for the Arizona coyotes, former leaf to boot. This is a guy who stood up to the NHL said, fuck your ban. I'm still going to use pride tape. And the result, the NHL backed down. They said, okay, we're going to lift this ban. So, Peter, let's hear some thoughts on this. Yes, that's true. Good on Travis Dermott. I wish I had a sound effect yeah. uh, for, for a round of applause, but uh, yeah. maybe get that for next time. <laughs> I mean, good on Travis Dermott. I mean, he basically called their bluff. And because no matter what happened, the NHL does not come out of this looking well. If they did go through and punish him, they would have been, you know, you know, criticized even more. And if they didn't and they go back, which they did, they still 
you know, folded because they knew what they did, what they knew they were in the wrong. They knew that this was a bad decision to do because now it, it, the pride tape, like you said, military night, hockey fights, cancer, black lives matter, all of that. It, it had a trickle down effect for all causes. And, you know, like you said, for someone on a one-year contract to do this, and we we see, we know how involved Travis Dermott is involved with the LGBTQ plus uh, two plus community, and how well or how important this is uh, this is to him, and for him to basically just say, yeah, you know what, I'm going to put tape on here. I don't care what you're going to do. What are you going to do about it? NHL was dead silent, and yeah, they reversed it. Great, but like you said. It doesn't matter because you initially implemented it and now you you bringing that back just shows that you were wrong. And I'm not disappointed, but I wanted more players to do it, uh, whether it was beforehand or after. I know Scott Lawton said, I think a lot of players were so good to do it when the time came, when it was, you know, the Pride festivities or the weekend uh, or the Pride game, um, when they would play, when they did have the jerseys, the sticks, logos, what have you. I think a lot of them still would have gone through with it. And I'm, you know, when Scott Lawton said, I'm so good to do it no matter what, that was just a big, you know, like you said, a big middle finger to the league. Um, Morgan Riley came out, at, uh, you know, saying that he's going to still support the community. Connor McDavid as well. I, I just wanted to see a little bit more, like more players doing it. But you know what? It was a big stepping stone and a big step to show that, you know what? We don't care what you think. We're still going to go through with it. What are you going to do about it? So that to me is huge. Um, Again, good on Travis Dermott for doing that because, you know, the league faced a lot of backlash with this. And you know what? This Either way, this is still a nightmare for them because they put through with this. Players were outspoken about it. And now, I, I, I mean, still the damage is done as a result of this. But yeah, I mean, glad they did it, but you know, kind of t- not necessarily too little too late, but the fact that they had to come out with a statement, they say they had the option to voluntarily represent social causes. That just said it all. That just means like, even if you, I, and again, I hate that this happened because they did this because a small minority of the players they were coddled against them. it. They coddled them. They coddled them. I'm still baffled that, you know, a, seven or so players had more of a say than the whole entire league. What does that say? And I, I know, I, know well, I said this last week or that last episode when we talked about this. It's just, you know, what are you doing? Like, I that 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 that's just where I'm at right now too. But yeah, it's, it's just like I said last week. It's all it did was tell us what we already knew that this the NHL already had these beliefs. They didn't really. I mean, we say that they we say that they coddled the the seven the the seven minority fans that were that were pissed off and didn't want to wear the pride jerseys and warm up and all that. Mm-hmm. But the NHL didn't cave to anybody. The NHL was already there. Right. Yeah. Like the only reason that they ever voiced any support for pride in the first place was for optics. Like they didn't do it because they care about the LGBTQ community. They did it because they didn't want to be quote unquote canceled by the fans. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's again, like I, just like I said at the start, the NHL doesn't deserve credit for this. We're not yeah. applauding the NHL for reversing this decision. I'm applauding Travis Dermott for forcing yeah. them to do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would, I, I agree with you. It would be nice to see more players step up and do this and have there be more of a response. But for Travis Dermott, a guy that, 
you know, this is not a Connor McDavid, and I, I, I'm not bringing up his skill level because I, I'm the only reason I'm bringing up his skill level here is because this is a guy who, you know, could easily lose his job if if a team decided they didn't like the message he was trying to spread, yeah. they could easily can him. But this is a guy who's not a Connor McDavid in the league. He's not a Nathan McKinnon. He's not an Austin Matthews. He's Travis Dermott. He steps up and he basically defies the NHL and says, no, I'm going to, I'm going to keep going with this. I thought for sure when he announced that he was going to, when when he applied pride tape there, I thought for sure that the outcome was going to be that the NHL find him and he ate the fine and that was it. Yeah. But the fact that they actually went ahead and reversed it goes to show that these players do have power and they can, they can make a statement when they want to. So it mm-hmm. would be nice, like you said, to see some more of this in the future. All right, Peter. Well, that's uh, more or less wraps up everything that we have had to do today. We have uh, made it through. We've successfully yes. made it through an episode of Six in the we Six without our, without our leader, Andrew Forbes. So wishing him the best. Yeah, Hopefully, wishing him the best. Yeah. Hopefully all is all is well with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter, I guess I'll use this last point right here to uh, ask if you've got anything coming up that you want to plug. Um. Something, uh, so because the NHL came out with the whole new edge thing, I'm really intrigued with this track, uh, the stat tracking and everything like that. So I'm working on something in regards to some of the like known stats in there for the Leafs. And it's really interesting. I'm starting to get some info on that or doing preliminary research before the actual writing process, but it, it does look fun with all this new info coming out. It does look like a lot of fun. And I, I checked it out the other day for myself and I knew it was going to be fun. Once I saw that John Tavares had the third highest top speed of any player on the Leafs, which is, which is weird to see mm-hmm. because we always hear about how washed he is and how much his legs aren't there anymore. He's still but, got wheels. Uh, he's still got wheels. We've seen that. Yeah. And uh, we're going to continue to see that. So uh, Peter, it was uh, great doing this with you today. Uh, you can follow Absolutely. Peter on Twitter at P Barracchini. You can follow myself at a Hobson media. We'll give Andrew the plug, even though he's not here, you can follow Andrew on social media, on Twitter at Andrew G Forbes. All right, Peter, you ready? I'm going to see if I can nail this. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter at six in the six pod. That is at S T I X I N T H E six I X P O D. Look at that. There you go. Nailed it. Nailed it. I nailed it. it. Let's go. Um, So you can follow us on our socials and we will catch you next time for episode 139 of sticks in the six. We'll talk to you later. Leafs nation. (laughs) 